Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, here we are. It's Advent, which means my wife put up trees. No lights on that one. That one used to live in my living room. Now we have a building here, right? We can like put up Christmas trees. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but uh, Advent is this, this season in the church calendar. And for those of you who grew up maybe in a denominational setting, uh, you would be familiar with the church calendar, right? Advent is the beginning of the church year. So we would say Happy New Year in a month. But in the church calendar, today marks the beginning of the church calendar. And it goes Advent. Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Good Friday, Easter, right? Pentecost, you guys remember? Can you guys try? What's right after that? Bonus points if you know. Bingo, ordinary time, which is just, I, I assume is just sort of like, they were just like, oh, enough, enough. <laughs> it's just ordinary time. It's just ordinary time. But this is the beginning of the church year, and, and the church calendar is built to orient your calendared life around Jesus. And so we do this thing every year at the same time. And the purpose is to develop a rhythm in your life that your calendar might revolve around Jesus. So you'll notice that we do the same sermon series pretty much every year, right? It's very similar, right? You know we're going to be in the beginning part of Matthew or Luke, right? You guys know that. For the next four weeks because it's the birth of Jesus. And so there's a rhythm to it, but the purpose of this is that we might once again be reminded of those foundational things. So a lot of what I say may not be new to you, yet I hope there's a little bit of a, a, a fresh take maybe to it. Advent comes from this Latin word, Adventus, which if you were here last year, actually, isn't it crazy? Last year we were sitting in people's houses. Um, if you were a part of this church last year or the year before, Adventus means arrival. And so what we do in Advent is we remember that Jesus has come, that we have a Messiah who has come, even while we look forward to his return. And so Advent is this space in our lives where we pay attention to the fact that Jesus has come and he has promised to come again. And so we're going to begin a series uh, that we're calling One Star, One Hope. And I, I want to start out just sort of reminiscing a little bit. Can I do that? Can I reminisce a little bit? Do you guys remember all those many, many moons ago, the beginning of 2020? You guys remember that? Beginning of 2020, it was such an exciting time, you know. Uh, if you, it, those of you who remember, we had that big Michler worship event the summer of 2019. You guys remember that? Some of you were there. Uh, all the churches were together, this big, and so even in the church in Altoona, all my friends, all my Facebook friends, they were posting these things, right, 2020, vision 2020, right, and everybody's super excited. In this church, I was excited about lesser things. Those of you who remember, we were in, uh, in the, you remember, in the elementary school where we were freezing, and I was thankful for, in January 2020, the mini split that they installed, that meant that we wouldn't be freezing, 
you know, parkas in the, in the winter and then people passing out in the summer. You guys remember that? You guys are thankful that you're in this building, right? So this was January uh, 2020, and everything changed on March 15th, right? Many of you remember March 15th, we canceled in-person church. I remember sitting around the table, Steph was hanging out at the uh, front door to make sure that if anybody showed up in person, they would know that we weren't having it. And Jerry and I came up with the most impromptu and probably embarrassing Facebook Live event, and the internet saves that stuff forever. So if you're curious, go back March 15th, but don't, don't go back. Just take my word for it. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> there was a plan. We just <laughs> were surprised at what it was like to be in front of a camera. Um, and, and so we had this thing, and we stopped meeting for like a while. And, you know, there were some people who were like, oh, it's only going to be two weeks. If we all hunker down for two weeks, it'll be over. You remember that? You remember that? All of you are like this, crazy people, right? Two weeks. If we just hunker down for two weeks, 14 days, we'll get through this. And, it'll, you know, like, like a, a wave, it'll just blow over, and then we'll just get back into our normal lives. And then people were saying, well, eight to ten weeks. Eight to ten weeks, and COVID will be over, and we'll get through it, and we'll be done you know, we just got to hunker down. You know, hey, that's two and a half months. And you guys remember that. And I, as the thing began, I sat down and I said to everybody, and those of you who were part of this church at the time, remember this. I said, I think we need to plan for 10 weeks or longer. And we're 21 months into this. 21 months. It's a really, really, really long time. Uh, Evan and I, when it all began, we're working out, as you can tell. It worked. Um, when it all began, Evan and I were going to Planet Fitness a couple times a week. The, the highlight was the massage chair afterwards. You know, that those of you know, otherwise it's just weird. They have a massage chair at Planet Fitness. It's worth it. Um, and when that all stopped, Evan and I started walking downtown a couple times a week. And I remember him sharing with me, I mean, aside from Tiger King, those of you remember that one. It's his fault that I watched that, and then you can't unsee it. Um, but one of the things he shared with me was this article by Andy Crouch. You guys know that name if I say that name? Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch is like an author, um, philo a like a modern-day philosophical thinker. And he wrote this article, and he said, some people are thinking about this as a blizzard, that this COVID thing is a blizzard. It's a snowstorm. We'll get dumped on for a day and a half, and then we'll clean up for the next two weeks, and we'll be done. He said, some people are thinking about the, the, the COVID thing like it's winter, and it's begun in our space, and yet spring is coming. We just got to hunker down for a season. He said, I want you to think about it like a mini ice age, a mini ice age. And I went home and read that article, and I began to adjust my expectations. And here's why I'm reminiscing about all this with you. I think when all of this began... We were all forced into a test, not of our own choosing. I mean, there were a lot of tests, right? Some isolation was a test, all kinds of things. But I think one of the big tests that we were all forced into was a test of hope. We were tested on our ability to hope. When hope was delayed, you know, there's all kinds of things. And now, now let me sort of define this word. When we use the word commonly, 
hope, what we mean is wish, right? So for example, if I say, man, I hope it's not a really snowy winter. What I mean is, I live in Pennsylvania, and I know it snows a lot every winter, but man, it'd be cool if it didn't, right? I wish it wouldn't snow so much. That's the way we use the word hope. But in the Bible, the way they use the word hope is it, there's, there's a certainty on the thing that I'm hoping for. It's not like, man, I wish that would happen. It's like, it would be like, I hope for lots of snow this winter, which, by the way, I don't. But I hope for lots of, there's a certainty that we're going to, right, going to get lots of snow. It just happens. And in the Bible, when they talk about hope, it comes with a confidence in the thing that we hope for. And so it's in this sense that I think we were all forced into a test of hope. We were all forced to wrestle with the things that we put confidence in. I don't know about you. People use this word apocalyptic. It's a biblical word that doesn't mean what, you know, what, what was the movie? It doesn't really matter. Uh, it's a biblical word that means the unveiling or the revealing, okay? Where the curtain was pulled back. Things that were once hidden have now been revealed. And I think this past 21 months, if you were paying attention, was an apocalyptic moment. We were all revealed, all the things that we hoped for and all the things that we've placed confidence in have been revealed to us. Have you noticed that about yourself? I don't know if you've paid attention, but if you've paid any amount of attention, the things that you hope for have been revealed. The things that you put confidence in have been revealed. So for example, if you set your hope on money, you may have lost a whole lot of it. Those of you who did a different way, maybe you gained a whole lot of it. But it was revealed whenever all that money went away that you hoped in money. If those of you who, who were hoping in a career and the career got, you know, you got laid off and now you're like, man, I was really hoping in that career. And maybe some of you were hoping in relationships and the relationships ended and you realized I had set my confidence in relationships. For me, one of the big things that I didn't realize that I had hoped in is I had put confidence in my busyness. I put confidence in busyness. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus is in charge of the church, right? Jesus will make it. It's biblical, right? Jesus will take care of the church. And yet there was a part of me that had put hope, had put confidence that if I was really busy and worked really, really hard, this church would be successful, and when everything got locked down, you know what, what I realized? You can't be busy when you're locked in your house. Can't be busy working on the church when you can't even leave your house. And so I recognized that I had built my hope, that I had placed hope in something that was not worth hoping in. What is it for you? What is it for you? Today, as we begin this Advent series, One Star, One Hope, my invitation to you, my hope for you today is that you would once again return to hope only in Jesus. That we would once again remember that there really is only one hope for life, and that is Jesus. That by the end of today, you would be willing to take a step and say, I could say with integrity, my hope is only in Jesus. That's my hope today. That's what I'm after today. Just all my cards on the table. That's what I'm aiming for, okay? 
So what I want to do is I want to pray, and then we're going to look at some scripture. So would you pray with me before we turn to the, uh, to the Bible? Lord Jesus, we do acknowledge in our sanest of moments that you are our only hope. That there's nothing else that we can put confidence in. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and that you would move among us today. God, I pray that you would make new the message from of old. God, that today it would become clear for us. However many times it's become clear before, I pray today it would become clear again that we can only hope in you. Lord, would you speak through me? God, I pray that you would enable me to speak your word clearly and boldly. Lord, I pray that that gifts of faith would come, that you would give gifts of faith, Lord, that where we have built up defenses against you, Lord, that you would break them down. Lord, fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'll give you just a second. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles. I like to hear pages. You know, they have this thing in analog now. It's really cool. Thanks. Really appreciate that. One good laugh. It's all it takes. That's why I like dad jokes. All right, Matthew chapter 2. And here's what we read, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I want you to think about this passage for a minute from the perspective of hope. And let me give you a little bit of context to sort of understand how this is impacted or how this impacts hope. It's helpful if you're studying Scripture to find places where Scripture quotes itself. And what you see here in the middle, in verse 6, I believe it is, is that the teachers and the chief priests quote the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. Now, 
in order to get context, it's helpful to look at this. Micah is an Old Testament prophet who lived in the 8th century B.C. And so if you look in the Old Testament, you can find the book of Micah. Micah was not exactly a popular guy. This Micah is a popular guy. The Micah in the Bible is not a popular guy. And the reason he was not a popular guy is because his prophecy to the nation of Israel was from the Lord saying, you have not been a just and a merciful people, and so therefore I'm kicking you out of the land. And God's judgment is coming upon you. So this is the message that Micah brings. You know, it's not a popular message. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong or bad, right? And so Micah brings this word of judgment, and yet before he finishes, the last word of God to the Israelites is not one of judgment. It's one of hope. It's in Micah chapter 5. And I'm going to just read this to you. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. This became known as what's called a messianic prophecy, that Micah was referring to the Messiah who was yet to come. And this is, so teachers of the law and and, and the, the chief priests would look forward to this. Here's the problem, and here's where the context begins. Micah's prophesying 700 years before Matthew takes place. 700 years. He says there will be a Messiah who is coming. And it gets worse. I want you to think about that. what that means for hope, but it gets worse. This word of hope comes before they've ever been exiled. They haven't even been kicked out of the land yet. And so you can imagine, if you know that God is going to deal with you in judgment, any word of hope you'd latch on to, right? And so as it fast forwards and they're exiled, there are prophets who start saying, oh, it's going to be a short time in exile. We're not going to be here all that long. And you can imagine that it would be easy to latch on to a false prophet that plays into hope, right? So God sends another prophet that says, no, 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 no. It's going to be a while. We're talking like 70 years. 70 years. Anybody older than 70 in this room? Not many. 70 years. Do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see how long it is from this word of hope to Matthew? And all we've gotten to is the exile. You know, we studied Nehemiah just a couple months ago. Nehemiah takes place 250 years after this word of prophecy. And after Nehemiah, a short time after Nehemiah and Ezra, the prophets go silent for 400 years. That's not a short time. That's a really long time. And there's a definite sense that one might be justified 
in believing that the thing they've placed their hope in, namely God, was not worthy of their confidence. Can you imagine that in your own life? Can you imagine that if you, if you, generation upon generation upon generation has been waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled, at what point do we decide it's okay to give up hope? I mean, think about the hopelessness we feel right now. Not everybody, but I have seen it growing. There's a little bit of a hopeless sense because we're 21 months into this thing. Do you see a need for hope? Do you see a need for a, a building of confidence? I want you to think about what delay of fulfillment does to hope. What does it do to your hope when the thing you were hoping for has been delayed? Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever ordered something from Amazon? All right, a handful of you. Have ordered some, how many of you have ever ordered something from Amazon and you needed it to be here in two days? Right? I got a birthday party I'm going to in three days. I need this thing to come in two days, right? And so on day two, you check your step, right, over and over. And over. If you're like me, you just keep looking. You're like, it says it's not been delivered yet. And you keep looking and you keep looking and you keep looking. And, you know, it, it has that little line that says, we'll be delivered by the end of the day. Like, that's helpful. Like, by the end of whose day, right? And mine says, we'll be delivered by 9 p.m. sometimes. And so you're like, it gets to be 9 o'clock, and you're looking at the step, and you're like, it's not here. The party's tomorrow. And then you start going, well, maybe, maybe mine is the last stop on the route, right? Maybe mine, it's, it's on the truck. Some of you know Hayden drives uh, for FedEx. And I have seen Hayden back here before at times when I'm still hoping FedEx is still delivering, right? I'm like, come on. So you check at like 9.30, and you're like, I, I don't know. And then you go and you look back at your, at your Amazon app and it says, the package is delayed. Have you seen that? Isn't that infuriating? It's like I paid for two-day two shipping. It's like a little bit maddening. But what happens inside of you? You start going, okay, well, tomorrow I'll take my lunch break and I'll, I'll go and I'll buy a gift card. Or maybe I can find that thing in the store. So what I'll do is I'll go to the store. I'll get it. Whenever I get that package, I'll return it. So I start creating contingency plans because my two-day shipping was not two days. Don't we? When your hope is delayed, don't you start creating contingencies? Don't you start? It's not enough to just sort of hope and keep hope. What we do is we sort of make alternative plans. And some would say, hey, maybe that's a smart thing to do, Right? We're making alternative plans. We hedge our bets. You know, we begin to create fallback plans. And I'm not talking about just in Amazon world, right? This is in all of our lives, don't we? You know, well, clearly God's not going to provide the job I need. So I'm going to take two or three jobs and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make it go by myself, right? I felt like God said he was going to provide a job for me. And yet, here I am, I'm in need of a job, and there's no job. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? We create our own contingencies. Or, or maybe this one, you know, clearly God's not going to heal me from this disease, so I have to do whatever I can to make myself happy, right? We create contingencies. It's like, well, I'm owed this, right? Because have you seen what I've been through? I'm owed this. Or, or, or how about this one? You know, maybe I, you know, I thought that God was going to heal my marriage and I thought my marriage was going to make me happy and I'm miserable 
and she's miserable. This is not us, by the way. <laughs> My wife's not here. I was like, whew, talk about marriage, and she's not here. Um, she'll be here next week, thankfully. Um, but we, we had all this hope for marriage, and all of a sudden it's not making me happy like I thought it would. And so begin to take matters into my own hands. And it's like, well, I got to go satisfy myself somewhere else. I'm just going to go on a few dates with somebody who's interested in me. What, what's the harm in that, right? We take matters into our own hands. We create these contingency plans to make ourselves happier. Maybe God's not going to provide for my financial needs. Maybe I don't trust God to actually take care of my financial needs. And so I'm going to sell out my integrity so that I can pay my bills. I'm going to maybe lie on my taxes, or I'm going to take money from here or take money from there. We create contingencies, don't we? And if you haven't found yourself yet, how about we dig a little bit deeper? Since everybody loves this, right? Making you a little bit uncomfortable. It's like, how much deeper will he go? How about this? Maybe I can't count on God to make me less anxious. So maybe I just take matters into my own hands and soothe my pain. Maybe this bottle will help. Maybe these pills will help. Maybe this porn addiction will help. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it'll make me feel better. Have we found ourselves there before? Or maybe, maybe God won't heal this trauma that I experienced as a child, so I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure that nobody hurts me that way again. And I'm going to live my life without anyone ever knowing who I am. At least I won't get hurt like that again. No, it's not perfect. Are we getting closer? Maybe it seems like God's not going to make me feel secure. You know, I, I need security and I'm just not sure that he's going to secure me. And so I, I'm just going to find security in any relationship that I can get a hold of. And I'll let them do to me whatever, as long as I'm in a relationship. It won't be perfect, but it'll be better. Is that close? Don't we create contingency plans all the way down to the core of ourselves when hope is delayed? Don't we all find ourselves in that place at time to time? We may start our lives with Jesus, <clears throat> hoping only in Jesus, but when our lives uh, when our expectations don't get met or when our hope is delayed, we begin to create contingencies. And whether we're aware of it or not, what we do is we build this altar of things that we have placed confidence in. And it works for a minute, doesn't it? Doesn't it work for you for a little while? Like all, We all do this, so... It works for you for a little bit. I just keep putting another thing that I'm hoping in, another thing I'm hoping in. And it works for a little while, and it's not till some significant event knocks the feet out from underneath it that it topples that you realize, I don't have anything. Right? COVID did this for so many people. We, realize, we didn't realize that we were building on top of idol, on top of idol, on top of misplaced hope. Until COVID took the bottom out from underneath it, and we realized, I don't have anything. My hope is gone. There's been so much despair, you, you know, so much suicide, because we didn't realize we were building our hope on something else. And friend, you'll never know 
that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If you've never been in that place where the only thing I have to hold on to is Jesus, you never know that that's enough. That that's enough for hope. You'll never know that. And friend, I, I think there's a number of us right now, as I'm talking about this, there's a number of you right now that you're taking inventory. The Spirit of God is speaking to you, and you're taking inventory inside of you, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's that thing. And I don't know what it is, but I know that there's a number of us that are starting to take stock just right now, and you're going, here's the thing that I've got hope in. You know, it's my position at the such and such place. It's my membership in the, this member, in this uh, organization. It's my good looks. It's my prestigious place. It's my bank account. There's a number of things that we've placed hope in that's not Jesus. And can I just say to you that it's a kindness of the Lord that he's showing you these things. That you might be spared from the pain of having it topple. And I think the invitation of the Lord to you today is to turn them over before the collateral damage happens, right? Like, you can only play around in your marriage long enough until something goes sideways, and guess who gets hurt? Everybody. And can I just say, this is, it may seem selfish. I apologize if it does. If your marriage blows up because you've been sort of tiptoeing up against the line because you need hope, it doesn't just hurt you. It doesn't just hurt your spouse. It just doesn't just hurt the other person. It doesn't just hurt your kids, although it will mess your kids up in a bad way. Do you know it hurts your church family too? All of these things have implications far beyond what you think the implications are. It's like you're carrying a stone up to a pond. And so long as you hold on to the stone, you control how far the ripples go. But the minute you do it and you let the stone go, you have no control over how far the ripples go. Can I just encourage you? Maybe today is the day that you just hand over the things that you've been putting hope in that are not Jesus. What if today was the day you could say with integrity, my only hope is Jesus? I think that's for Matthew 2, uh, the chief priests and the teachers' hope had probably worn pretty thin, right? It's been delayed for hundreds of years. We've been waiting for this thing. We've been putting on the show. And so even if they had not seen the star, or even if they had seen the star, they didn't rush right down to Bethlehem, right? Like even if they had noticed and had paid attention. And it's not even like they would be looking for a star to be the, the prophecy of the Messiah. The closest thing you find in Scripture of a star, you know, in, in Revelation, now this is later, you see Jesus called the bright and morning star. But in the Old Testament, Numbers 24, 17, this is the closest thing you come up with. I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. The prophecy is of a, a someone who will come out of Jacob to lead God's people. It's not exactly a star. And beyond that, the Israelites were forbidden to read the stars, right? To sort of interpret world events by reading the stars. But there's something important I think Matthew wants us to see here. And you have to do a little digging to catch it. Some of you guys know, you guys know the Magi and the wise men are the same people. 
You guys know that? So when you set up your little nativity scene at your house, and you put the little three guys, right, that have gifts, magi, wise men. But what you may not know is these are not Jewish people. The magi are not Jewish people. These guys, you know, they're, they're, they're considered wise men because they're pursuers of wisdom, but they're pursuers of wisdom from anywhere, wherever they can find it. In a first century Roman world, it was perfectly acceptable and kind of applauded that you might read the stars to find out what's going to happen in the world. These guys are astrologers. You catch that? These guys are watching the stars to see when the comets go by and see when the stars light up because what they're doing is they're reading the stars and saying, based on the way the stars are today, this is what's going to happen, right? You can read this in the newspaper, right? You can read all this stuff in the newspaper. You, know, you find your sign and you read the thing, right? The same kind of thing is happening. These guys are Eastern astrologers. They're foreigners who read the stars to know what's going to happen. And one of the associations that had happened earlier in the first century B.C. was an association between a star and Julius Caesar. And so when the star went away, they associated the death of Julius Caesar. So what they started to say is, if a new star comes or a nova, it gets brighter, it must mean that there's a new leader, a new king, a new power. And so these guys are not in Israel. They look over Israel. They see this star, and they say there must be a new king in Israel. They don't have any of these prophecies. They see a star, and so they go to the place where the king would, go, would be, right? They go to Jerusalem. This is like the capital city, and they walk in. Herod's in charge, and they say, where's the new king that was born? And Herod, like, looks around and goes, I didn't have any kids, right? And he begins to panic because any other king needs to be dealt with, right? This is a competition for the throne. And so, but he has this realization. He's half Jew, half Roman. So he's like, wait a minute. The Jews keep talking about there's a king coming. So he says, hold on, Magi, you wait here. And he goes over here and he says, hey, Jewish teachers, where was it that your king was going to be born? And they quote this passage to him. And he goes, Great, thanks. Appreciate that. Comes back over here, and it says secretly, secretly. He goes to these magi, and he says, go to Bethlehem. When you find him, let me know. I'm going to come worship him too, right? And so these guys go, but the thing that Matthew wants you to see is that these are the only people that he reports having worshiped Jesus in the manger, not the Israelites who the hope should be for, not the religious people. These are people who found out about the Messiah in completely illegitimate means. They found out by reading the stars. And Matthew doesn't report what Luke does. Luke reports that the shepherds show up too. But Matthew wants you to know that the hope of the Jews has now become the hope of the whole world. Do you see that? These are people who were not Israelites, not God's chosen people, not people of the promise, and they had not discerned the new king in the right way. They're foreign people with bad theology. And yet, Matthew wants us to know they're the only ones that he reports who show up to worship King Jesus. These people who shouldn't. 
What's my point? My point here is it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, why you're here. You may be here for the wrong reasons, but it's not an accident. None of these things matter. The hope for the religious people has become the hope for you as well. The thing that we celebrate in this Advent season is that Jesus is the only hope and he can be your only hope. Jesus is not just the hope for the religious. He's the hope for the irreligious, the sort of religious, the sometimes religious, and the anti-religious. Because Jesus is not inviting someone, he's not inviting you to a religion, he's inviting you to worship the King of Kings. The invitation to you, regardless of where you are, is to find hope in worshiping King Jesus. And it's interesting, this has, it's not in my notes, but it's interesting to note, when you look at the end, these guys are overjoyed. These are guys that really don't belong. They're overjoyed. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures to him. If you're going to worship Jesus, there's something about a body posture. And there's something about giving. There's no tight-fisted worship of Jesus. Do you know why we do offering every week? I mean, aside from the fact that the bills keep coming which is a real thing. Do you know why we do it every week? Because every week we need to live again open-handed. Every week we need to remember again that because we worship Jesus, we turn and we lay our things down for him and before him. When you get to Revelation, all the elders cast their only thing of value, the crown that makes them somebody. They cast it before Jesus. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.